are tuned in to CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio. And in studio today, we have Brennan and Jody and Dave. We'll hear from Craig and Hank a little later. Um, it's Good Friday, and it is a Good Friday. We got a lot to talk about. And uh, I don't know, maybe because it's like, you know, resurrection or something. We're talking about vampires today. A lot of our time will be spent of, of the undead Nosferatu types. And we're going to lead with your review, Brennan, of Morbius. So uh, what did you think of Morbius? All right. So at this point, I think a lot of people have heard reviews about it. And a lot of people have had their opinions on it already. I still try not to spoil things too much, but I mean, it's been talked about enough. So you should be fine. I actually went and saw Morbius twice because I wanted to have fresh in my mind. The first time I actually went and watched it opening night. So I hadn't heard any of the bad reviews or anything yet because nothing had really come out and I don't usually follow them. And then I just went and watched it again a couple of days ago. So it was fresh in my mind. So I could have a different perspective. The way I could sum up Morbius in like one sentence, it was very, 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 very okay. It's okay. All around, it's fine. It's a movie. It was there. I watched it twice. It is a bit forgettable. Um, I actually sat down and made myself a few notes because I'm trying to remember, oh, okay, well, so what happened in the movie? It was interesting watching it the second time because a scene would start and I remember thinking, I don't remember, what? Did, did I miss this? And then as the scene kept going, I was like, oh, okay, I remember this now because I'd forgotten so much of what I'd seen the first time. So because it is, you know, okay and pretty forgettable, when you watch it the second time, it's like watching a brand new movie. So there you go. You get two movies for the price of one there. There were some things in Morbius that actually I thought were was really quite good. All around, the the acting is 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 good overall. I thought Jared Leto or Leto as Morbius um, did actually a really great job with the physicality. Well, him and Matt Smith both do, you know, because they uh, have to use crutches quite a bit um, and kind of go back and forth between when he's Morbius and he's super powerful, and then when the Morbius power wears off, then suddenly his legs begin not to work, and so how quickly he could kind of go from being completely in control to not having control of his body. Like I thought the physicality was actually really, really well done. All the Morbius parts when he's doing his fighting and all the slow motions, special effects stuff and like the cool speed stuff was actually really, really cool. I liked every time there was a Morbius fight or he was flying. That looked really, really neat to me. I, I thought that was well done. The second time watching it, there was something I couldn't quite put my finger on like the style of the movie but the second time it, 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 I just figured it out it reminded me of like the Marvel Knights comics so if you think of um uh Joe Quesada uh, in the late 90s did the Marvel Knights and I think Ghost Rider was one of the comics and Daredevil and they were like a little little darker um I think even like the 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 pages were black I think on the Ghost Rider comic this movie would have been really good for like a mid 90s Marvel Knights title. That's kind of the feel of it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go read a Marvel Knights comic, watch the movie. It'll it'll make sense. You know, it, it it read like a comic. It felt like watching a live action comic. So yeah, it it was it was it was fine. It wasn't too long, which was nice. It wasn't three hours. It was actually quite short. Even though in the middle it kind of sagged a little bit. It was really good for callbacks. So they would make a reference to something, and then later on it would pay off with something else. So for example. Morbius has to make a makeshift lab because he's being charged for murder because he's a vampire and people are being drained of their blood. Oh yeah. If you made a drinking game and had a drink, everyone said drained of their blood game over. And like they use that same phrase over and over and over again. Like no one else says, Oh, his blood was missing drained of their blood happens all the time. 
anyway, um, they're really good at calling back things so that you don't have those conversations like, oh, how come he knew how to make a lab? Well, as a kid, he fixed his best friend's uh, blood transfusing machine using a ballpoint pen, right? So they're very good at that. That being said, when he has one of his big fight scenes, they replay some of the slow motion stuff, almost like the exact same as the previous fight, which I understand what they're trying to do. He's like having that moment that, that he can win this time, but it was so much like it was a little bit odd. Now, here's the stuff I didn't like quite so much. The dis shoddy police work in general. Um, so Morbius is being charged for murder because all these people are being drained of their blood. And more than once, people just go to his lab in the middle of the night and like there's the, the crime scene tape across the door and they just walk in. I'm like, really? Like, I understand that you probably wouldn't have a police officer 24-7 guarding the door, but it's a citywide manhunt. They're telling the people of New York not to leave their house after midnight. And yet people are just like wandering in and out of the crime scene, like, doo, 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 I'm just here to grab some extra stuff. This has been mentioned, not just by me, but I did a quick look at reviews. The mid post credit scenes. So at the end of the movie, we have two post credit sequences. You probably heard about them, but I'll just, again, I'll, I'll tell you about them without spoiling too much. The first one I actually thought was pretty cool. I was like, all right, they're gonna make a connection with Spider-Man. We've got some multiverse stuff happening. Cool, who knows, maybe it'd be a Doctor Strange thing, which would make sense. Morbius, Doctor Strange, like the dark Marvel universe. Okay, cool. First sequence was fine. But then they give you a second one, which basically is explaining what the point of the first one was. So it's kind of like, if you don't understand why that first sequence could be important, here's a second sequence like to really nail the point home. And the second sequence just really killed it for me. Like the first one at least gave you a bit of mystery. You know, you're not really sure which way they're going to go. Whereas the second one, they basically just like put all their cards on the table and said, here, here's what we're planning on doing. There was um, overall, like it was a really male dominated movie, which might sound weird. I mean, it, a superhero movie that's mostly male dominated, but it's just such a small cast. I, I thought about that afterward. And so, and most of the time, any female character ends up getting killed in this movie. Well, except for a little twist, but again, watch the movie. Overall, I, again, I saw it twice. It was fine. Like, it's okay. Like, go check it out. But then after it's done, then maybe watch Thor Ragnarok again or another one, you know? It's not as, as uh, offensively bad as I think a lot of people are making it sound to be. Um, but like I said, it was just very, very, very okay. And uh, there you go. Oh, and Matt Smith, when he becomes like the uh, the evil vampire guy, he has, he wears like a... a pinstripe suit all the time and so when he starts becoming like a vampire it reminded me of the mask a lot i don't know why i think the mask would wear like that kind of so there was a little bit of the mask in there going for me which was was fine it wasn't a a, a disc per se oh another thing too so matt smith's character is nicknamed milo morbius gave him that nickname and stuck whatever we find out he's the one who's funding all his research but we're never told how he has all these billions of dollars he has enough that he's funding all this research. He has a lab, a hospital in downtown New York. He has enough money that they actually take a ship into international waters, which I always love. Oh, we have to do this sketchy experiment. So let's go into international waters where we're not breaking laws technically. I'm like, I guess, but if it's that top secret, you could probably just like have an underground bunker somewhere, you know, and be a little bit less out in the open. That being said, though, it does make for a better plot device when you see what happens. Um, anyway, we don't know why he has so much money, but apparently he does, which I guess is a small point, but it's kind of like one throwaway line. Been, oh, aren't you lucky that your parents were 
Saudi Arabia oil investors. I don't know. Just one little line of dialogue could have cleared that up for me. But anyway, if if you're turned off by going to see Morbius based on the reviews, go check it out. It's it's not all that bad. But like I said, when you leave, by the time you get home, you probably will forget that you saw it. All right. Well, I did some research after uh, we discussed talking about vampires. And uh, one good comic that's out right now that is vampire related is Little Monsters, Jeff Lemire and Dustin Gwen. And number two just came out last week and it is firmly establishes that the kids are in fact vampires. Uh, It goes into the backstory of a couple of them, Uh, but it's interesting because they, I, I I don't think that they really like have ever drank human blood before and uh. one of them starts to dwell delve into that so it's like they didn't tell us kind of like louis from interview with a vampire yeah starts out feeding on rats right exactly not that we want to talk about that movie we don't that is one of the, the worst ones um there's a lot of great vampire movies and there's a lot of garbage like the addiction is supposed to be awesome and we watched that it's terrible that yeah. was from 1995 with lily taylor Abel Ferrer movie that kind of got me interested he's usually so into the like style over substance thing but I don't know it it tried to be academic and I was like that's not really what I want out of my vampire movie no it wasn't good Kolchak the Night Stalker this is like a a crime drama that takes place in Las Vegas where it's like there's a vampire killing people and like this cop is investigating he's like yeah I think it's a vampire and everyone's just like can't be a vampire come on buddy but it is in fact and it's great if you haven't seen it and it's like old school las vegas so it just looks good clothes good cars good all that kind of stuff that's worth checking out just for that craig siliphant will endorse that one as well totally you know i like the lost boys i like near dark i know that's on your list that's probably my favorite vampire movie it's hard to pick and i think um only lovers left alive that's be better like a 1a 1b type of thing with near dark but I, i've lived with near dark longer because it came out in 1987 when i was still in elementary school directed by Catherine bigelow soundtrack by tangerine dream and it, it's it's just so rugged and raw um plenty of violence including you know your kind of romantic neck biting scene and and that kind of thing and it, it just kind of brings vampires to heartland america it does. It's very good. It's actually pretty relatable if, if vampires can be relatable. Yeah, and my favorite thing about it is the smoke effect, that when the vampires get hit by sunlight, even though it's kind of a low-budget film, there's this cool effect where their skin starts to smoke, and you can sort of sense the pain that the sun brings to their undead experience. They're getting charred. Yeah. Um, I would have to say my favorite is Only Lovers Left Alive from 2013 with Jim Jarmusch, and this is Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. It's fantastic. You absolutely need to see that. That's probably the vampire movie that invests the most in just the factor of like, you might, if you're a vampire, you might've been alive for five or 600 years and what that's like, which they don't usually delve into too much in a lot of the other vampire horror You would have read a lot of books. You would have like maybe mastered some instruments, you know, You'd, you'd know a lot of history. So it is very, very cool that way. I really, really love Let the Right One In from 2008. This is directed by Thomas Alfredson. The kids in this one are on point. The leads are amazing. Yeah, Uh, they did an American remake of that one, which kind of stank. But I, I, I love the first one so much, I was bound to be disappointed by the remake. I like how that one is a vampire movie, 
but it's primarily a movie about how kids who are being bullied need advocates. Yes. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it needs to be a vampire. Sometimes. I really liked uh, the What We Do in the Shadows, 2014. Uh, Jermaine Clement of uh, Flight of the Concords. Really funny uh, take on that whole like supernatural world. You should check that one out. And then the next two that I want to mention, uh, of course, Nosferatu, the original, 1922, uh, directed by F.W. Murnau. We had the pleasure of watching this at the Roxy with a live soundtrack played by Shooting Gun. Indeed. It was mind-blowing. It was so good, and it set the table for being like one of the very best vampire movies that I've ever seen. So on piggybacking that, um, 2000, Shadow of the Vampire, uh, it stars John Malkovich and Willem Dafoe, and it's basically the story of them, tr like they're trying to make Nosferatu, and uh, Willem Dafoe plays a guy who is Max Shrek. He really is a vampire, but like the cast don't know. So is he or isn't he? And he's really spooky and weird and awesome. So those are my favorite, you know, with a nod, of course, to Lost Boys and et cetera. But this one, th those five, I think you got us. Can I throw in one more? Yes, you can. You have time for one more. Have to just mention Vampire's Kiss, sort of a screwball yes. comedy that is kind of in the same flavor as Martin Scorsese's After Hours, where Nicolas Cage plays a guy who might be a vampire or he might just be in love with the idea of being a vampire because he's in love with Jennifer Beals, who is definitely a vampire. Also starring Maria Conchita Alonso. So good. And it's, I can't say it's Nick Cage's craziest performance because I, I mean, there are just so many that I probably haven't even seen, but it's definitely tied. It's on the Mount Rushmore of Nick Cage's <laughs> craziest performance. Overacting, uh, live cockroach consumption, um, just like he, he just gets himself into a, a completely different mental state in this movie that, um, yeah, if you want something a little lighter, it still has vampires in it. That's a fun watch. Okay. And and I, I heard that Nicolas Cage said Vampire's Kiss was the first time he was really allowed to like experiment. And he called that movie his laboratory. He said, they let me do what I wanted. And that was the movie where he really got to tinker and play and kind of develop his uh, acting style. Yeah, there's a lot of like physical acting go for it moments in that movie. Yeah, there sure are. A lot of yelling too. <clears throat> All right, so uh, that I think wraps up our vampire talk. I mean, for now, anyways, we'll probably delve into this, you know, down the road again, but uh, we should let Hank and Craig have their say for pop culture this week. Uh, Hank's gonna talk a lot about like what's just on like regular TV, including Domino Masters. And Craig has watched the first episode of Tokyo Vice, which we love. And uh, maybe if there's time permitting, we can talk a little bit about it towards the end of the show before we sign off. So, Hank, Craig, take it away. Hey, everybody. Craig Silifan here for Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM. And I am joined, as always, by Hank, my good buddy. Uh, you can see his reviews at Fisher Cruise on uh, Instagram and whatnot. And you can find me at Craig Silifant on most uh, platforms, but- uh, You use your real name? What? I do, I do. Uh, now I've got, a, uh, I've got a few things I wanna touch on today, but uh, what have you got? Well, I wanted to start by saying that most of the time when we're talking about TV, we're not talking about 
things that show up on NBC and ABC and Fox and CBS, like the major network shows. And most of the time it's because all the shows on there are really bad. But I, I have come to realize that after watching a numerous shows with my wife on, on these uh, network television, that TV, uh, for the most part, you know, is supposed to entertain you. And as long as it entertains you, there's nothing wrong with it. So when I tell you that over the last week, the only things I've been watching are a SWAT, uh, Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, uh, the new uh, cast of Law and Order, because uh, uh, Raylene, my wife, she loves Law and Order. And now that it's back, um, we're watching that. Uh, Ghosts, uh, the American remake of it, we're watching that. Um, and I, I don't feel bad about talking about it now. It's like, I, I watch, you know, like Survivor. We're all over that. We've watched every season. SWAT, if you're not watching that, the best episode of SWAT that I have seen just aired. They spent all of their budget on this episode it was so cool the helicopters and car chases and things blowing up and people getting shot uh but what i do want to mention is on ctv or uh fox there is a show called domino masters and i did not know that there are domino i guess crafting creating competitions all over the world and they've been going on since at least the 70s and i did not know so they took the format of lego masters and they're doing with dominoes now where they get these teams of domino enthusiasts where they face off uh, creating these topple challenges that they get about, I think it's 16 hours to go and they've got a theme and a few criteria that they have to do for the judges. And they go and they set up on this platform, this entire like topple where they start, like it is the most unbelievable stuff. It's nerve wracking watching them because a few times they've gone and after 16 hours, they've accidentally hit a domino and they're all like falling over and they're like, it's ruined. Uh, awesome show. Um, the thing that I thought was very interesting is that they showed a clip of one of the contestants from, uh, it was in the 70s sometime where he went to set a world record and he set up this domino, um, I guess, topple in a school gym. So the entire floor of a school gym was all these dominoes he had set up to get knocked over and everything. And this camera guy came in the film and the camera guy accidentally hit a domino and it ruined the entire thing and his friends were holding him back as he's like i'm gonna kill you and he's like gonna go kill this camera guy i'm like he spent a month setting this up and this guy oops and then you see all these dominoes falling over like oh i, I would lose my mind i actually uh, think that jody and david really love the show too it seems like something that would be uh uh up their alley but the family and i domino masters i highly recommend it so there are shows on regular network tv that are pretty sweet so check it out check what's it that? out craig what's that one on ctv uh and fox so it depends uh, if you want to watch uh, uh what you got at home but even the ctv app here in canada you can watch it so oh domino masters and now at home that's all we talk about my son he's on youtube kids watching domino videos it's nothing but dominoes oh Interesting. All right. I'll have to show that to my son too. It probably sounds like something he would like. Change your uh, life. You got something else or? Uh, well, what I uh, want to know is uh, this Moon Knight show that uh, we talked about. You saw the first episode. Uh, I haven't started really getting into it yet because I want you to tell me if it's gotten any better. Has it gotten any better? I got to say like, no. Uh, I've watched two episodes now um, and like maybe it was just the mood I was in. I don't know. But like it just I was really struggling with it. It's not really going anywhere or doing much and moon Knight is barely in it i will say oscar isaac uh is really good in it and i and i like uh you know 
the, the, you know, there's some other good uh, casting too. Ethan Hawke plays kind of the bad guy or whatever. Uh, he's really good in it. But I just find that it's just kind of floundering around and not really exciting and not really doing too much. Uh, uh, like I said, maybe it was just the mood I was in when I watched that second episode. But so far, I'm fairly uh, disappointed in it, uh, as well as uh, Picard. Uh, I'm also having some issues with so like you know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago second season came on pretty strong I mean it definitely owed some apologies to uh, Star Trek for the voyage home like even some weird little plot points that they seem to be like ripping off or making homage to or something Uh, now I love Picard and I love Star Trek and I love like the character of Jean-Luc Picard and Patrick Stewart playing him Uh, but it just seems like the season started out strong and the last episode or so again have just been kind of spinning their wheels and now they're introducing a whole bunch of new characters uh you know a little bit of a spoiler here but brent spiner uh is on the show uh not as data but as somebody that lives in the year 2024 uh and then they're they're kind of digging down on a whole kind of group of characters and plot line with that and and you're sort of like uh, you know, there's all this, these balls in the air, but none of them are really that like compelling. Uh, and then, you know, they've also built this cast that isn't, you know, the normal cast we're used to. And so that's fine. I'm, 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 I'm here for that. But like, now they're moving away from a lot of this cast that we should be getting to know because we don't know them well enough to care about most of them. Uh, and there's some good characters in there. Seven of nine. Rios is a good character. Uh, Allison Pill's character is good. Um, but it's just like, you know, they're kind of doing that walking dead thing now where they're just adding a bunch of characters on and we're supposed to care about them, but they're not giving us any reason to. And I will say this to me was telling uh, this week, they released a sort of a teaser trailer, I guess I'd call it for Picard season three, because they're bringing back all the main cast, except for uh, Will Wheaton, I noticed is still not included. In yeah, that. he doesn't get included. No, which is stupid. Throw Will Wheaton in there. Come on. Like, why but, not? I mean, but so have you ever seen a show before that's teasing season like the next season while they're only like a quarter to halfway through the season they're in now like it's almost like they realize like uh this season's kind of like going nowhere we better get them pumped for season three it, when it must be because they still have a few episodes of this season left and i'm guessing with all the stuff that they're introducing like they already know what's happening all the way to the end of the series i guess right. um so we just need to go with it but there's a lot of like you said like new characters and new things happening and this thing with the borg queen where she's now like taken over uh allison pill's character which is hilarious that i can't remember what her character's name is and i just watched the episode last night um but like enough like just focus back on jean-luc picard and q because that's the point of the season so let's get let's get back to it yeah exactly so i mean i'll stick with it because i'm a glutton for that kind of punishment maybe it'll get better i don't know but uh, i want to quickly talk about a new series i started watching on crave uh it's an hbo uh, max series called tokyo vice Uh, And so the first episode was directed by Michael Mann, who did not create the show, uh, but it's based on a uh, book by uh, Jake Adelstein, who was a basically a journalist in Japan, and he covered like, you know, the Yakuza and other crime uh, uh, stuff like that. So he in the in the show, uh, Ansel Egorto, I don't really like that much. Uh, plays Jake uh, Adelstein and it kind of starts out that he's like on the bottom rung of this uh, uh, newspaper he's like the first white guy they've ever hired there uh, and he sort of starts to delve into like the Tokyo underground and and different characters from police to Yakuza and stuff Uh, I'd say some of the episodes like 
it, it's taking its time, I guess, and not, and, and I don't mean that in a like a bad way. Uh, it's a bit of a slow burn here and there, and they're starting to introduce more and more characters. The first episode, story-wise, isn't necessarily super strong, but it's a lot of table setting. But it's super well directed. It's Michael Mann. It looks brilliant. It's what he does, like that neon Tokyo uh, brilliance. And then episode two, the story starts to. The direction's not quite as good, but the story starts to take a a bit better turn. So uh, I'm I'm out of time here right now, but uh, Tokyo Vice. Is uh, it uh, is it all uh, made up, or is this is based on true stories? Uh, it's based on the book. I'm sure there's a lot of it that's like you know juggled for the television series. So the book was nonfiction, but I'm guessing they uh, you know changed a bunch of the details and stuff, kind of like Winning Time, uh, you know, for for the actual series itself, just to make it a, a dramatic arc that makes sense and everything. But that one's on Crave. Uh, in Canada here and we're going to throw back to Jody and everybody so that's it for Hank and I this week we'll talk to you next week Woo! Bye. all right thanks fellas okay so Craig was just talking about Tokyo Vice which is amazing it is Michael Mann um, and it is fish out of water you know foreigner in Japan it's not super favoring towards Japanese culture. Like no, but they maybe get away with some of that by having it set in 1999. So they, there could be sort of a this is how it used to be flavor, but we don't know enough about Tokyo really to say. Yeah, and it is Tokyo, not necessarily Japan. Uh, yeah, Good that they're making like generalizations about. But um, it is classic Michael Mann, and I'm loving it. I just I can't wait for like more episodes to come out yeah the the factor that makes even though michael mann just you know is involved with the production and directed the first episode one little michael mann trope or wrinkle that i recognized by the time we got to episode three was that he really likes to have two men from two different worlds in conflict but working towards a similar goal sure we saw this like way back in manhunter with the hannibal will graham relationship even a little bit with Crockett and Tubbs, you know, mm -hmm. New York and Miami working together, Vincent and Max and Collateral, uh, Vincent Hanna and Neil McCauley and Heat is obviously like the most yeah. famous example of this. And we're starting in episode three, which this like sort of dropped as a first three episodes drop um, with uh, Jake and Hiroto, um, a journalist and a police officer whose lives are pushed together because their jobs both involve the yakuza right okay just watch it that's it okay because we're out of time so we can't really talk anymore about it uh but i do want to mention two books that came out this week that you should get one is called 100 demons by linda Berry, and the other one is the new reckless book the ghost in you by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. It's amazing. This one has, uh, Ethan's out of town. So Anna has to take on the investigating this time. So super pumped to see her as the main protagonist. Does the new Linda Berry have Marlis in it? Um, it doesn't have Marlis. It's kind of autobiographical, but she is basically Marlis. So Somebody in there looks like Marlis. It, it's Linda Berry. Yeah. So. Great books, check them out. Have a fantastic Easter weekend, and you know where to find us here on CFCR next Friday at 6 p.m. In the meantime, keep your dukes up.